श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय श्री श्री गोराधमाधव की जय गो भक्तवृंद की जय गो प्रेम आनंदिंग एनी क्वेश्चन In the purport of Prabhupada's in the Chaitanya Chaitamita, he says that one should not expect an acharya to um, follow a stereotype. And I was wondering if one should expect an acharya not to follow a stereotype. If it's a sign of lack of realization or something, if he does follow a stereotype. Well, it's uh, somewhat of an interesting uh question and uh, I have to look at the context of Prabhupada's purport to see what he was really um intending precisely there, but in general from what you have said it would appear that he's commenting on a certain side if you will of the position or the phenomenon of the acharya um once the other side being um as many statements about conformity this is a statement with regard to non-conformity there are many statements with regard to conformity and for example uh credibility deriving um credibility on the part of the acharya deriving from his or her um being uh, able to represent that which has come before not to manufacture stay within the parameters of the scriptural uh argument um to um stay on the map with all of his or her statements the map of the sacred texts and so forth so these are all statements in the, on the side uh leaning towards conformity and and there being certain uh criterion that uh in place to look for that uh, constitute uh, uh the the signs uh, the symptoms of the uh acharya hmm? um in days of your for example the standard would be to uh if you were going to start a a a, a sampradaya lineage um which is non-conforming in a sense nonetheless there were things that you had to conform to um for example by uh presenting a commentary on the sutras and supporting your position um um in re- in relation to that so there's there's there, there's two sides to it hmm? and i think i've written about this in the fourth chapter of my gita commentary on the verse where krishna introduces the concept of guru parampara evam parampara praptam right in the beginning there the avatar tattva section third or fourth verse of the fourth chapter and you can look at the commentary there but i think that we can say there's 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 basically two 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 standards one leaning towards conformity one leaning 
towards uh, innovation um, and new light, and the extremes on that side uh, go as far as forming a sampradaya. Madhva, for example, was in the Advaita sampradaya, and he came out of it and started his own. The Madhva sampradaya, the Advaita Vad. Hmm? So, um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu arguably started his own sampradaya and uh, commissioned, empowered the Goswamis to be the architects in terms of making the blueprints, the interpretations of the standard sacred text of revelation of the time, that the interpretations that constitute the uh, what we say is Gaudiya Vedanta. And so those would be extremes in one sense of non-conformity, even while there are some uh, things that the that they conformed to, and they didn't. They conformed to, as I say, the drawing from the body of sacred texts to come up with their own interpretations of them that were reasonable, valid, and could be seen in that light, and so on and so forth. And so, so that's the the, the one end, kind of. Uh, um, leaning towards innovation. And then there's the other end where there's the kind of the faithful carrying on of the teaching without adding or subtracting anything and representing it faithfully um, but without much innovation or uh, shedding new light, uh, something like that. So I think we find um, in modern times uh, both of these uh, standards and um, they have their place. I think the the latter standard can carry us can carry a sect for a generation or two, hmm. maybe hmm. one can carry one uh, really on the strength of the innovation of the the predecessor. If he or she is innovative enough, insightful enough to Innovation just may, may just mean, in this sense, to be able to draw from the texts in such a way that that it casts light on it, uh, that that uh, what's being said there in, in ways that haven't been understood, thought of before, and 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 are very relevant to the time and circumstance, and thus very compelling, and and so forth. So someone can ride the wave of that if you will, in the next generation and kind of continue that on and, and um, um, be faithful to, to such innovation and, and maybe expand the numbers by that and so forth. Um, but, as I say, that can last for a generation, maybe a generation and a half or, or, so, or so. And... Uh, you know, maybe longer in terms of structure and and in form and so forth, but um, but it starts to without that deeper insight that a non-conforming, so to speak, these Prabhupada's term there. Or what did he say? Yeah. Uh, 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 to conform to a stereotype. Yeah, not 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 stereotypical. Of, um, uh, w- without that to kind of uh, 
keep it really alive in, in, in new times, and it can become tend to become a little dogmatic and sleepy, and and uh, your kids can become, and their kids can become, and because we were born in this religion, you know, it becomes like that. I think so. Um, the uh, uh, and the innovative side, of course, you know, these are the kind of acharyas in a sense that really really stick out, stand out, major contributions and. It can be innovative uh, and non-stereotypical in, in different ways. And in one sense, the very standard of preaching is that it's kind of out of the box because it's dealing with new times and circumstances and uh, new questions and and, uh, and 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 so forth. So Prabhupada was very innovative. Bhakti Minod was very innovative. We have a lot of innovation. Bhakti Siddhanta, Bhakti Minod, Bhakti Siddhanta. Like my Guru Maharaj, uh, Shridhar Maharaj was innovative in a in a in a, in a very Bhakti Gaudiya Mata kind of sense, uh, very uh, dynamic, although introverted. So it can become through introversion. If an introverted or an extroverted, probably was much more extroverted, could show up in in different ways. Um, um, uh, but the, there are lineages that have gone on for you know quite some time that, without that kind of innovation, and even they, I would say, got a lot of energy from our particular Baribar, particular sect, um, with its innovation and so forth, bringing people from different continents and so forth to the tradition and and uh, bringing the. Uh, the rest of the world, you know, to the door of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, probably brought Gaudiya Vaishnavism to the door of the rest of the world, and and so, so um, I think you need that, um, and it's more the full sense of the of the chari, if you will, and that may, perhaps is what Prabhupada's talking about there. That um, um, Prabhupada, for example, I mean, sometimes he's writing a little bit about himself and and the ways in which he's perceiving, he's being perceived, and and so forth. So, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur was innovative, obviously, and many of his disciples who succeeded him um, tended to just kind of carry on the way he did things, and um, that was. Would, was was not going to be successful uh, in terms of taking the tradition as far and wide as he envisioned it, it should be taken. Uh, there were attempts to take it outside of India, to London, Germany, and so forth, without the boldness and innovation and, and non-stereotypical, you know, this is what it means to be the follower of Mahaprabhu in the line of Bhakti Siddhanta. You say it like this. You don't say it like that. You do. You only do it in this way and that because Sarsdhi Thakur did it in that way. That didn't um, didn't work in uh, in London, in in in, in Germany, and uh, Prabhupada later went, of course, to to America, to New York, and. He did not institute all the the the, the uh, standards and procedures and details 
the Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati Thakur, so much so that some of the other successors of Sarasvati Thakur had remained in India and followed him kind of to the letter in their 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 moths, their monasteries, uh, didn't recognize Prabhupada's contribution to be in line with Bhakti Siddhanta and thought him to be um, you know, deviant in, uh, in because of not conforming in some senses to the form um, while carrying the substance nonetheless and and hence the re- the result was was very big um, so it it happens this is uh, you know the, the Jews they crucified you know Jesus he was a Jew and he was exemplifying what their teaching was at its heart hmm? the heart of religious traditions and they couldn't recognize it um, so um, <clears throat> so Prabhupada is writing there and, and probably he is you know thinking reflecting on his work and the unfortunate as he saw it circumstances um, that uh, and lack of vision and essential insight as he saw it that um, um, didn't allow so many of his contemporaries to join with him in the success, as he saw it, of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati Thakur's mission to, and, and, and a desire, fulfillment of his desire to see Mahaprabhu's teachings take uh, a ground to be in, in foreign soil, outside of India, to be planted there, and, and, and so forth. Um, he wa- wanted to celebrate that with them, but they didn't recognize, and suddenly it had all happened, you know, in a very short period of time, and in a whirlpool, so to speak, of a whirlwind of, of, of preaching, and then there it was, and then he passed away, and so many of them said, well, that was incredible, and actually he did that, <laughs> and, uh, and so forth. So, um, and he's probably thinking about himself there, and, and ways in which he's thinking out of the bo- outside of the box, now, when we say thinking outside of the box and not conforming and not being um, uh, doesn't conform to a particular stereotype, again, that's within certain parameters. Hmm? And so, there are principles that we have to maintain, and and then there are details hmm? um, that are meant to uh, help uh, deliver the principle. There's the essence. There's the substance, and there's the shape or the form. It could take different shapes and different forms within within uh, reason or even that within certain parameters. And um, the substance could and then and, 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 and live on and speak to people in a compelling way and so forth. And we see now, too. I mean, we see Bhakti and Vinod Thakur had said that, that in Kali Yuga that the... Um, something to the effect that everybody respects the previous acharyas, but they don't have much respect for the present ones. They don't have the vision to see them till they're gone, then they're a previous. He was great. You know. I know him. Something like that. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, that's un- that's unfortunate. But um, I think uh, in, in the full, uh, what I say, sense of the term, hmm, someone who's really understood then is not uh, is thinking outside of the box and not. Uh, Conforming sees the need of the time and how to emphasize and so forth, and and that will often be then uh, reflecting, directing, I should say, some of the teaching and explanation to those who have already been practicing and so forth to stir them up, and and it's like you know, a little bit like stirring up a hornet's nest; you can get bit. <laughs> it's not always appreciated, but the preachers are not there just to pat us on the back and tell us everything's okay. Everything. Yeah. Just chant and be happy. You know, there's a place for saying that too, but there's a place for for unsettling. Hmm? Then when we become settled in in our thinking and and um, mechanical and, and lose sight of the essence and argue over things that, that aren't even of concern. Hmm? Now I see there's some arguments on the part of some of my godbrothers and godsisters about whether the, the earth is flat or round. That's a big controversy. <laughs> Based on a particular um, interpretation of the description of what's called Jambudweep or the Bhumandala in Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? And apparently there's a way of reading it that appears to say it's it's flat, whatever that means by flat. And 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 there's a way to read it that says it's round. And of course there are pictures from outer space that it's round and Spherical, and there's a lot of things that we're uh, like doing, like writing on computers. Probably has to do with the understanding that it's round, and and and, and the math that goes around that that puts up whatever satellites and so on and so forth, and makes much of the technological world uh, go go round, <laughs> if you will. Um, but uh, you know, they, there's a, there's a sector that thinks this is what it says and this is right, and and the scientific perspective is wrong. After all, senses are imperfect, and and so on. And so they're arguing about it. I mean, um, if you asked me, I'd say it's round in some places and it's flat in others. You know? <laughs> um, but um, but. Uh, uh, you know, it's 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 a, it's kind of a non-issue. The whole sometimes we talk about it for good reason, but the the, the descriptions of the world, like I was saying the other night, I, I was looking at the stars, and there's this sense of Aishvarya, and so forth. There's, there's a, so there's Aishvarya in the Bhagavatam, but but so the descriptions of the world, the universe expanding out of Vishnu, and all these descriptions, like in the fifth canon, this is all Aishvarya Gyan. Hmm? So it, it doesn't have anything to do with Raganuga Bhakti, other than serving as a background for Raganuga Bhakti. That 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 that, but it's not something to be in the foreground, hmm? to be the preoccupation. Uh, so if you study how it comes, for example, in the Bhagavatam, 
what it what's what surrounds it. In the fifth canto, I think in the sixteenth chapter of the fifth canto, this description um, begins of the uh, cosmography, if you will, of the Bhu Mandala. Hmm? Prichit Marsh asks about it because earlier on in the fifth canto, in the beginning chapters, there's the story of Maharaj Priyavrata and how he was had a chariot and made seven valleys that formed seven oceans, seven continents, and and he and, and caused the day the, the days uh, this equinox longer days and shorter nights and and so forth. And it's talked about like he's riding a chariot. So if you read the, the, the commentaries, for example, Vishnu Chakravarti, it's all talking about it in a yogic context. He's a He's a yogi, and in, and in the context of the yoga, which is all about, yoga is all really about the subtle body and controlling it, and so on and so forth. And, and there's, and, and so there's a, there's a, there's a, what's being described there is the ability to control the day and the night, if you will, and the sun. It's like he said, like he was like a second sun, hmm? Priyavrata. Hmm? It means that the implication is that by the power of yoga, spiritual power going within and so forth, you can conquer over the world without. That's what it's saying. You can conquer the day and the night. You can make the day long and the night short. and You can transcend. That's the implication of it. And he is a yogi and he is a devotee and that's what's being pointed out there in the description of Priyavrata. Yes, it's talking about him driving a chariot and making these seven continents with was it seven oceans or whatever and this kind of thing. And and you, it's not like some guy up there with a ride in the sky on a chariot. That's not what's being talked about. It's 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 like how you you know it's how you look at the world and like a poet looks at the world and talks about it in a certain way. What's what's being talked about here is just not a poetic explanation of the world, but but a deeper theological um, emphasis on the the nature of spiritual prowess, hmm? and um, and how by that by going within one can rise above and beyond the world. That's what it's about, hmm? and in the context of making those kinds of points, there's the story of Priyavrata Priyavrat and. Um, and and so Parikshit Marj in the sixteenth chapter, after you've gone through, you know that description of Priyavrata, and then his sons, and and their spirituality and so forth, and uh, uh, what does it come to? Uh, uh, the story of Bharata, and Rishabdev. Bharat was a king of India, and he became a, a sage, a mystic. His next life he was a deer, his next life he was Judd Bharata, and he spoke to Maharaj Rahugana about all about bhakti and the power of Sadhu Sangha and so on and so forth. This is really what the fifth canto is about, some really, really great um, lessons about Shuddha Bhakti. Hmm? And, um, and then the, the nature of material existence, the forest of material existence, and and how entangling it is, and so on and so forth. And so he goes through all of this, and then Maharaj Pariksit, to keep it within a kind of Puranic genre, 
asks about the the, the cosmography, you know, um, he says that you know the, the meditating on the the world is is one of the shaktis of Bhagawan. So by meditating on it, we can we can we can know something about him, and that's our goal to know something about him. And so please tell me about you know the world. Hmm? Um, and Sugadev says, well, it's really a transformation of the modes of nature, and no one can understand it comprehensively. But I'll tell you something about what's been said about the Bhumandala, a small portion, representing the Puranic tradition of cosmography, where the planets are, and, how, and this kind of thing. Hmm? And Chakravati Thakur, uh, Vishwanathi comments, he said that, that Parikshit Marsh is not asking for himself, because his adhikar, his eligibility, is for Shuddha-bhakti. Hmm? So he has no real interest in it. It's an important point to, 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 to grab onto there. But there's a varied audience at the time on the bank of the Ganges. And those who are not Yoga Mishra Bhaktas, but Bhakti Mishra Yogis. So Mishra means mixed. So there are devotees who's, who mix yoga Astanga yogi into their path, and then there are yogis that mix some bhakti into their path. That's a much lower level, if you will. The, the the trajectory of that path does not penetrate as deeply into transcendence as bhakti mixed with yoga, which can take you to Shantarasa, for example. Hmm? So Vishwanathakri Thakra says he's not asking for himself, and he explains it through the grammar, hmm? but for Bhakti Mishra yogis hmm, who are, like I said, they're like preoccupied with control hmm, and the subtle body. And you know, if you ever studied the yogis, they got all these mystical explanations of chakras and you know, it's the whole subtle world and so forth. He says it's a it's a way of reflecting. He's asking Sukadev to speak about a way of reflecting or meditating on the world. The material world, such that it would be suitable for these type of yogis' minds to become absorbed in in uh, in God consciousness. Hmm? It's similar in that sense to the descriptions given by Sukadeva Goswami at the beginning of his talk in the second canto, where he speaks about the universal form, the virata rupa, way to meditate on the world as if it's a form of God. Hmm? So that's the purpose of the description, hmm? um, and and it's it's preceded by all this beautiful teaching about about Shuddha Bhakti, and, and I don't know. There, there's like ten things that make something a Purana. I'm not sure if the cosmography maybe won't have that in there is is is, is one of them, um, but. Um, What's found there in the Bhagavad Gita, it's not Rasik, it, it's found in the Vishnu Purana and other Puranas and so forth. It's added in, it, it helps it make it part of a particular genre of, of, uh, of, of literature, Puranic and so forth. And, um, and, and, it, and so you, you, you come into it with that kind of preface, hmm? distinguishing the description. 
because Parikshit Marsh has Adhikar for Shuddha Bhakti, Ananya Bhakti. So he will not meditate on the world like that in terms of his way of absorbing his mind in God, which is the whole purpose of the book, to inspire us, to teach us to do that. He'll meditate on the form of the deity because that, that's his eligibility. Hmm? He has uh, eligibility for, again, for Ananya Bhakti, Shuddha Bhakti, hmm? Uttam Bhakti. So he's going to meditate on God in this way. These yoga mishra, bhakti mishra yogis, <laughs> they don't have that um, eligibility. Hmm? They can't sit and meditate on the deity. Hmm? So they need something else, a way to preoccupy their minds. So that's what, it, what it's, it's given. That's the purpose of it. Hmm? Um, and and then you you come out on the other end of it into the sixth canto, and it ends with a description of these hellish planets. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in a famous essay, um, or speech, perhaps it was, uh, that uh, that has been turned into an essay, he makes the point that in the book there are some some stories that are that are unbelievable <laughs> and descriptions of hells and, and and so forth the likes of which that would make Milton's paradise lost seem heavenly or something like that yeah. uh, it, but this he said he says he says somewhere in the book it said these things are not to be taken literally I never found the verse that he's referring to and he he hasn't uh, he didn't say which one but 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 he says that the, the point is with that, with regard to that, hells in particular, that there is a system of punishment and reward in the world. Hmm? You can play it out in any way you want hmm? to make the point. Hmm? I mean, not in any way you want, but you can, but you can embellish it. You can, um, and that's particularly what a book like Bhagavatam does often about making any point. You take a story and you can tweak it and like based on a true story, but you want to make a point. You have these movies based on a true story. Well, the, the guy who's doing it, he's got a based on a true story that Kennedy was shot, and he thinks he wasn't shot by that guy, and so he makes a movie like that, and it's political. In other words, he has a point to make. This is how Chaitanya Charitamrita is written. Kaviraj Goswami has a certain point to make, so he's telling the story of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life, in a particular way, hmm? to bring out the realization of Rupa Goswami. That's what he wants to showcase in the book, how Rupa Goswami understood Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? And so that's the beginning. Okay, Now you tell the story accordingly. You look at the Bhagavatam. What's the central story of Srimad Bhagavatam? The central story is Maharaj Parikshit was cursed to die in seven days. Right? He went to the bank of the Ganges and he heard from Sukadev. Hmm? Well, the demise, or the departure, the death of Prikshit Marsh is also ascribed to the Mahabharat. Hmm? The curse is also there, but doesn't it doesn't end the way it, it it doesn't play out the way it does in the Bhagavatam. I don't even know what it is because I never read it. Hmm? 
I don't have time to read the Mahabharata. I mean, it's, it's an important book, but I take the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> That's what holds the whole thing together and Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? Um, so, I couldn't even tell you, but the story is different, for sure. Very different. Hmm? And you see these stories in Bhagavatam. They're repeated from other texts and so forth. But they're told in a different way. Hmm? Just, for example, the way Radha's name is mentioned and not mentioned. There's a reason for it. It is mentioned in other Puranas, but they aren't Rasa Shastras either. Hmm? In the Bhagavatam, it's said in a in a, in Parokshavad. Hmm? Parokshavad means indirect language. In the Bhagavatam itself, so Krishna says, "I like that kind of language very much." It's like you make a point, and you don't have to explain it. Everybody just kind of, mm, "Yeah, that's good." Hmm? Could you explain that? And everybody, oh, okay. And I go through it and actually, you know. So, um, so, so it's, it's, it's for a certain audience that's got Sahradayam, a sympathetic heart for it, and they can catch it and breathless and, and, and carry on, and it's, it stretches, it stretches you, so to speak. So, so the Bhagavatam, some of these same stories are there, but they're told differently. Hmm? So the author, Vyasi or you know whatever Sukadev the speaker Sutta Goswami they, they're making a certain point and we, of course our Gaudiya Acharyas are bringing out what that, that point is and so forth but we see without good guidance it's easy to get lost and so there's a big debate about whether the world's flat or round and, and if you think it's flat on the one side you're not you're you're you're, you're not following you're not you're a bad you know person. You're not following the, you're the, the guru, the, the, the parampara. And the other side's thinking the same thing, you know. If you think it's round, and you're not following the guru. And uh, like I said, some places it's round, some places it's flat, you know. Uh, there, there are ups and downs and flat parts and whatever. Uh, and so, you know, you have to look at it in context. It's not unimportant and we're not, it has its place. But its place has been explained beautifully there by Vishnu Chakravarti. Then he goes on and talks about it and details. Says it means this, it means this. The twenty thousand yojanas, that ten thousand yojanas, this, and 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 so on and so forth. And there's an ocean of liquor and ghee and jamba juices there, and that's about as close as you're going to get to the river of you know jackfruits and so forth. I mean, you have to think about it a little bit. You know, so you so you get it down. And you go see it really. If you could say it really definitively shows from the from the word, from the hermeneutics, you know, that it's that it's flat. It says it's flat. So, therefore, and this is the implication of the flat earthers, that therefore, um, modern science says round is all wrong. So throw all that out. All those pictures, you know, they were done in Photoshop, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or whatever. But then you ask him, well, you know, let's take the ocean, you know, what was there, an ocean of of milk? Hmm? It's, ask him if it's been pasteurized. <laughs> I mean, in other words, I think we know pretty much physically about the properties of milk. 
I don't think the science is trying to cheat us. And there's a big conspiracy that milk actually lasts forever and never goes bad. But they just want to make business out of it, so they say that it goes bad. I mean, there is some truth to that with the pasteurization and, and so on and so forth. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you have raw milk, hmm, it may not go bad, but it's going to turn into yogurt. And I think there's an ocean of yogurt, too, so they've got a problem. Now the ocean of milk just turned into the ocean of yogurt. So how literally are you going to take everything before it just be, you know, it, it becomes apparent that that's not the way it's being spoken about there? Hmm? And, um, and, and that doesn't mean there aren't oceans of milk. Hmm? But, um, but, um, but, it, it, it's not talking about it in, 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 in we, people tend to be grounded to the physical, um, so-called reality, and they want everything to fit in there, hmm? to be, for it to be verified and so forth. And this is a, this is a problem, can be a problem for the, for the neophyte hmm? to go further. So, people get hung up on this and then arguing over it and, and, and so on. And, and then, you know, what's leading up to it, what are the points, and what comes after it? So after the hells, right? All these hells are described, and Bhakti Mahal says, really, what the purport here is that there's a system for punishment and reward in, in, within the world. Hmm? It's karma. So um, that's the essential idea there. Meanwhile, the sixth chapter begins with Pritchett Marsh having some concern about people who might... Um, uh, act in, s- in such a way that they have to get those kind of karmic repercussions out of it. Because why? He has the compassionate heart of a Vaishnava. So what's being showcased is the compassionate heart of the Vaishnava. This is desirable. Hmm? He's concerned that people are going to suffer in a hellish condition. This is his concern. And people, other people read it the fifth can go, yeah. People are gonna get you know, they're gonna get theirs. But Pariksha Marsh couldn't couldn't deal with it, you know. So so then then what happens is the Kechit Kevalaya Bhaktiya Vasudeva Parayam Agamdunotikarsnam the description of Shuddha Bhakti comes. Hmm? In other words he asks, What can we do? And Pariksit Marsh says, Well, Sukadeva Testament, see what he's learned so far. About the middle of the book now. Hmm? So went through the fifth canto. Prikshit Marsh has a compassionate heart. That's good. He's concerned that people might have to suffer in some hellish condition. So, so he says, how can we remedy the situation? And Sukadev says, well, I think they should do good karma. Counteract the bad karma. And Sukadev says, and Prikshit says, I don't think that's a good idea. Because... It's like an elephant that goes and bathes in the in the river, then comes out and rolls in the sand again. Hmm? So you go and do good karma, but then you come back and do the bad. It doesn't. It's people just going back and forth like this. She says, "Okay, well then you know, yeah, good, a good point." Sugadev says, "He says, do gyan, hmm? which is beyond karma, right? To go beyond karma by gyan." And Sukadev and Parikshamar says, well, I'm not sure about that. That seems to be like if you take bamboo and you cut it off, but you don't take out the roots, hmm, it could come up again. 
Hmm? I'm not. So I'm not sure that that's a, that's a solution. It's like going from one side to the other. One side wants a, a karmic realm to exploit the world. One wants to run away from the world. But can you really get away from it? Hmm? We have no responsibility whatsoever. So, so then Sukadev is very pleased. His student has learned well. And then he says, yes. And here's my answer then. That, Kechid kebalaya bhaktiya vasudeva parayana He says like, that they should do bhakti, which is like, if you want to dissipate the fog... Hmm? You know, if you've been to San Francisco, you're living out in that area, there's a fog that comes in quite often in the afternoon, a big fog. So, you know, we could, what are you going to do to stop the fog if you want to, you could start a big fire. But it might burn down the whole city, too. But if the sun comes up, which is beyond our effort, you see, karma and gyan, they require some effort on our part. They're effort-based. There's effort in bhakti, but it's 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 mercy, grace-based. Hmm? So I often say we make effort to get the grace. Hmm? So when the sun comes up, of its own accord, the fog you can't make a fire that big, and if you did, you'd burn the city down. The fog is dissipated. So bhakti is like that. You bring, you. Put yourself in a position, hearing from good sadhus in any position, and invite Krishna into your life. Hmm? And do bhakti. And this then will remedy the problem comprehensively. And then the story of Ajamil showcasing the power of the holy name. And it's very clearly mentioned there. That's the purport of it that those who chant the holy name, even inattentively, hmm, are not subject to the uh, court of, of Yamaraj. Yama means law. They're, they're beyond the law. Hmm? So he was, a, he was a Brahman, a Jamil, but he deviated from the law. Hmm? He didn't follow the Dharma. But he named his son Narayan. He called the name of Narayan at the time of death. The agents of Yama came to get him, and the agents of Vishnu came. And the agents of Yama said, "Who the hell are you? Hmm. We're from hell, and we're here. <laughs> and this guy's going with us. And, they, and they, we never seen you before." And they said, "Well, you don't know that much about Dharma, do you?" Hmm? And they explained Paro Dharma to him, hmm? to them. And they said, "We're going to have to go back and ask Yamaraj about that." So they went back and he said, "Yeah, that's right. They, 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 they they're from beyond the law. The Vishnu Dutta Dutas mean messengers. The messengers of Vishnu. So they took the Ajamya. They came under his. Their he came under their jurisdiction. Hmm? And then they situated him in Haridwar to continue practice and perfect himself and so forth. But there was no. He was destined by ordinary consideration of Dharma to go to hell." Because he chanted the name, even unknowingly, even atten- inattentively, on Abbas, a shadow of the name, such was his power. Hmm? So much for the hells and all this. It's all. So it, it's surrounded on each side by beautiful sections about 
pure devotion, and so you want to follow the thread. Hmm? So to get caught up in there and debate about whether it's flat or round, or um, and uh, and think that one's devotional life depends on this is, is not to understand the text very well. And so it's evidence in our time of the need for someone who is uh, not conforming to a particular stereotype in a way to put, use proper language and is is um, thinking outside of the, the box, so to speak, who's on the inside track and can point out this is the detail, this is why it's what its place in the book and and what's the substance, what's the essence and so on and so forth. Hmm? Um, so I want to think that's the the full face, if you will, of the Achari, but there's kind of a kind of a place, there is a place for something less than that that it carries on faithfully and and so forth, but um, with time, you need that new investment hmm, of insight relevant to time and circumstance and and so forth. And it's very much needed now. And there are persons, you know, contributing. We do our small part um, to make these these kind of points and and. Um, And not conform to them. You know, it's just what the stereotype would be might be different in different times. You have to be like this. You have to say it like that. You have to think like this. Or, because Prabhupada did it like this. And never mind that, you know, that he had a Prabhupada also and he didn't do it like Prabhupada exactly in terms of all the details. I mean, we, we've, this is a, not a new point here, but um, that's kind of what Prabhupada's uh, talking about there. Hmm. You had a comment? Just about the Roman Duches and how they really don't have dynamic because it's yeah. everybody's looking just to Ramanuj and his fundamentalist presentation. There's no room outside of that in that so Yeah. Yeah. You say it's it may go on beyond a, a generation or two, but it becomes stagnant affair. It becomes more of a religious affair than something experiential, dynamic, uh, Vedanta, mystics. Uh, I mean, the church Catholic Church is there. I mean, they were certainly uh, the Pauls and the Peters and St. Francis's and so on and so forth. They were pretty heavy, heavy guys, mystics and so forth. But, you know, the Pope's good, but he ain't like that. Even Mother Teresa was made a saint, but she she wasn't like that. Hmm. Right. So it, it and it's 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 carrying on. It's commenting about world affairs and events and and so on and so forth. It's more well, anyway. That's that's the state of the Catholic Church. It's around, but the present Pope is a little innovative and not stereotypical in, in, in certain ways. Not not making the contrast between mysticism and religion, I don't think, but but um, but he's, he's he's better than than some than his predecessor, in my opinion. But yeah, we need that um, <clears throat> innovative insight, which really 
constitutes realization, how to differentiate between the details and principles and and sort out the essence and gravitate towards that and that requires some realization. Kind of Chari should have that, that kind of realization. What else? What's the time? Yes. We'll try it. <laughs> Is it possible in this material world for a soul to be completely free from the influence of karma and of trauma? And I ask in regards to in my personal practice, um, I've performed healings of trauma impressions and done like karma clearings and dissolving and things like that. And I reached the conclusion that, okay, I'm free of this like trauma or like I've dissolved like this karma and cleared myself of it. You know, it's left or it's dissipated. Then a later time may come and it's like, whoa, there's that trauma I thought I peeled myself of resurfacing again. Or there is like this karmic pattern resurging that I thought I discontinued or cleared. So it's like... Yeah, you have to have a more powerful process to overcome it. There are processes by which material scars or impressions that cause us to act in certain ways and and, um, dramatize us and, and set our our machine and to go in a certain direction, so to speak. Um, there are ways that people come up with to deal with those that that uh, aren't uh, comprehensive in their scope. Hmm? Um, and in in bhakti, of course, and in yoga, we acknowledge that there is not only a physical um, reality, but there's a psychic dimension as well. And um, while there may be, for example, teachings of how to rewire the brain so that you don't think the way you did because uh, because uh, you're thinking in a certain way because you were traumatized at a certain time in youth and you're carrying with it and it's functioning in terms of those patterns and so there's ways to try to rewire the brain and maybe medication for that or things to do and so on and so forth. And, but in um, in yoga, we, we, we it, it's thought that the uh, the uh, we go to a deeper level, and we seek to deal with the problems in a more comprehensive way as well. And um, in bhakti, in particular, then we 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 try to imbibe some scars or impressions from bhakti in the citta through association that then give us a tendency because they're powerful to act in relation to uh, to bhakti and and in the context of that retire they cleanse bhakti has the power to cleanse away the other some scars or tendencies that get caught in the citta which is a subtle form of, 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 of matter sometimes identified with mind 
and so to cleanse it out, and not only cleanse it out, but put positive samskaras in there for bhakti. So let's say, for example, you want to take all your karma and throw it in a hole and cover it up. Okay, I did it. But then maybe someone's going to shoo, might come back up again a little bit, right? Hmm? You threw all the weeds in a big hole, but then some of them lived on underneath and they come back up. So some persons, even by material methods or even by spiritual methods like yoga, try to take all the karma and wipe the slate clean. Hmm? So clean it off, put it all in a in a dumpster and cover it up. But the problem is that it might come back up again. So our approach is we take all the karma, for example, throw it in the hole, cover it up, and build a temple on top of it, hmm? and chant and dance. Not just dance, but chant and dance. That you have to get put those two together. Okay, chant and dance, and then there's no 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 chance that it will come up again because the best defense is a good offense. So see, bhakti is very positive in its approach to doing away with the negative. Hmm? You can try to do away the, with the negative. Um, um, by, like I say, erasing something about it, but but we could but we could also we could write something positive. To use another example, that would make that just eh, you don't have to erase it. Just no, it's no longer of any interest. It, so we get rid of the negative by focusing on the positive, and the positive is very high in this context. If you understand the philosophy, where the chanting goes and so forth, where it takes us. Hmm? Um, There are paths by which you can get peace from the traumas. But our path is one where you can be traumatized by bhakti, so to speak. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was traumatized by bhakti. When he heard the name of Krishna, he would fall over and weep and and uh, and uh, roll on the ground in ecstasy. And he was looking like, this guy's uh, having some problems here. <laughs> but this was these were outer expressions of his the inner depth of his spiritual experience of love of krishna peace is one thing love is 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 another hmm? you can have peace you can stop the war of your material traumas and so forth but is there anything positive where do we go from there if where we go from there is just other material venues then they're going to bring us other traumas and they're not going to, and that we're not going to do away deeply with the other, the worst traumas that are more apparent to us. Even now, we have traumas that we don't realize that are traumas that we're going to have to get away, away from, and in, 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 in further on down the road. I mean, uh, so bhakti is, if you look at it very carefully, you see it's a very comprehensive approach to the problem of our material conditioning. And yes, it's possible to be. Uh, to to transcend them in in, in this life, and um, and uh, we say even the prabhu, even the manifest karma, can be arrested. Hmm.
Yeah, it's possible. That's the short answer. Yeah. Uh, one follow-up in regards to that. Uh, when we speak of the Jivan Mukta still completely free of any karmic bonds, but still without uh, a spiritual form, so there's always a possibility for the Jivan Mukta to fall while he's on the material plane. There's two kinds of Jivan Muktas, though. Jivan Mukta Suchite. Karmasa Manasagira, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu describes Jivan Mukta for devotees. So there's the Jivan Mukta. Typically, it's a name, a term that refers to the jnanis, and that's how you're speaking about it. But, but Rupa Goswami says, our Jivan Mukta, Karmasa Manasagira, whose mind, whose actions, Karma, Manasa, Vacha, whose words, we're always engaged in the service of Krishna, Jivan Mukta Suchite. He's a liberated soul. Prabhupada used to say things like that. Once I asked Prabhupada, Prabhupada, if I keep speaking about Krishna and his books like I'm doing, will I become liberated? He said, you're already liberated just by doing that. Hmm? A, okay. So, um, this is the... Rupa Goswami invokes the term to say, hey, we've got our own Jivan Muktas and, and, and check it out. <laughs> this is their position. And because otherwise to arrive at Jivan Mukti through Gyan, it's not easy. Hmm. Not easy, number one. And number two, as you're pointing out, it's not a safe position to be in. Whereas Bhakti Vinod said to self, the safest place to be in the world is in, the, is in Hari Kirtan. Hmm. There. So, so, um, Yes, the Jivan Mukta means he's, he, in, in Gyanmark, he's liberated, he's from all the karmas, and the, but the Parabdha, the manifest karma, the unmanifest karma has been eradicated, that which it has not yet um, f- blossomed and flowered and borne fruit, that's been eradicated, but the manifest karma is there, and he is witnessing it. Hmm? And death means that it's expired. Hmm? So there are statements, for example, in Scripture that karma has to play itself out. Hmm? And there are statements that that it can be eradicated, for example, by bhakti, Hmm? even the prabhda karma. Baladev Bijabhusan comments in in his Govindabhasha, commentary on Vedanta Sutra, that for the Nirapeksha devotee, which might you might use another way of maybe saying the the Jivan Mukta, renounced devotee, hmm, um, uh, who cannot bear the pain of separation from Krishna, hmm, and who Krishna cannot bear the pain of being separated from anymore, hearing his ardent prayer in Bhakti, Krishna takes his good karma and gives it to his friends and takes his bad karma and gives it to his enemies. <laughs> uh, and then there's Shobhana karma. Hmm? As we find in the story of Bard, for example, and Krishna gives them, Shobhana means beautiful, beautiful karma, gives them karma in the stage of Baba so that they're still in the world. 
Hmm? And through it, they're teaching some example to the devotees or cultivating and perfecting their, churning their bhava in, in, into prema. Hmm? So this is a very extraordinary idea. But meanwhile, the, the, the jnani, Jivan Mukta, he has to wait because jnan in itself is sattvic. Hmm? So it cannot completely liberate one. It cannot destroy then. It doesn't have the power to destroy the parabdha karma. Bhakti is transcendental. It's near going. So it has the power to destroy even the parabdha karma, the manifest karma. So the jnani's not doing bhakti, so he has to rely on eradicating the origination of karma, avidya, ignorance, and live in jnana and wait for the parabdha to play itself out. But if he, first of all, if he disregards bhakti, then he has to fall down. He cannot attain his goal of of of, of Brahma Sayuja. Hmm? If he honors bhakti, then it's possible he could attain Brahma Sayuja, which from the bhakti point of view, of Ananya Bhakti, of Uttam Bhakti, it's absolutely undesirable. It's worse than hell. Hmm. From hell you could come and be, go and become a attain rasa and do course. But if you enter into Brahman, yeah, I call it like spiritual suicide. So anyway, so yes, the Jivan Mukta has to wait and he can fall from there. Hmm. That's the penultimate state. It's the second to the last you know, state. And uh, it's possible to fall from there. Yes? Doesn't one ultimately fall from Brahmas? One can fall from Jivan Mukta, but who will fall where? From Brahman? But I thought in Brahman... Think about this. Who will fall from where? In Brahman, who's there? If your individuality, is, is sense of individuality is lost. So it's permanently lost. Yeah, that's what uh, Sanatana Goswami says in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. He says, and some people, they, they get annihilated in Brahman. <laughs> calls it Brahma Sayuja. Hmm? So who will fall from where? There's no sense of where and no sense of I. That's, there may be some slightly different opinions, like there may be an opinion, some acharyas, that one can reside there and not have any sense of I or where or whatever, but still be an individual. And possibly, hmm, the possibility remains that he could become um, liberated from there, and, or you know, attain bhakti by association. But more or less, this refers to jivan mukta, where he can have association and can have that that influence, like Sugadev had that influence, and you see what happened. Hmm. I mean, the demons go there. Krishna kills the demons is where they go. 
Is that where you want to go? I mean, that's, you're going to perform austerities for that. And but they say that's liberation. That liberation. It is liberation. It is liberation. Some people suffer and they want to pull the plug, right? People are suffering in a terminal condition of illness and what do they call it? Euthanasia? So they want to pull the plug. Because why? They want to be free from the misery. They want to be liberated from the misery. And they are. What's the difference? They are liberated. You see, that's the whole point. They're liberated from the suffering. Hmm? That sounds positive. But from the bigger picture, it's, it's not positive at all. Hmm? That appears happy or joyful only in relation to the suffering. Hmm? Bhakti is very different. So it's yeah it's it's not um, it's uh, it's very much sought after by some people, hmm. but you look at the different schools that advocate it and describe it. The way Shankar describes it, you, if you hear about it, then you, you you'll probably find it undesirable. There's no experience. There's no there's no there's no action. It's what's the term I've used before. It's quality less. Awareness or something? Content less consciousness. Content less consciousness. Typically, we think of consciousness in relation to some content that you're conscious of. Content less consciousness. So if you get a go under anesthesia, end of the suffering there. You're still there, but you wouldn't know it. Hmm. That's what it's compared to. It's no pain. But from the Gaudiya perspective, and for good reason, there's no happiness either. Only the happiness that constitutes the, the, the ending of pain. So the Ananda, the Satchitananda, so the Ananda of the soul in that condition is simply just the absence of suffering? Well, you know, it depends who you talk to. Like, for, for, like Shankara, Brahman can't have Ananda because it can't have anything. It can't have any quality. Still, they call it Ananda. But we have heard, or I have heard that the, the person gets lonely there, and that's why they end up coming back down. But there's no sense of, yeah, I, I know, that's just the way of talking about it, but there's no sense of, and you said it was liberation, right? Yeah? Well, I mean, in the Krishna book it says he got liberated, you know. He yeah, yeah, so, all right, exactly. So, lip, so there's no falling from liberation, there's no maya there, there's no, there's no... You know, there's no loneliness. Loneliness is 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 is, is material. Is part of material existence. 
that doesn't apply beyond the modes of nature. Loneliness is is a condition of of material life that is a result from identifying with the body and thinking of yourself in a particular way that has nothing to do with what you are. And, And loneliness and many other things, emotional conditions are manifestations of that. So that's completely gone. You've done away with all that. How can you become lonely? You have to understand what loneliness is. It's a material condition. You go beyond all material conditions, then none of the symptoms of material life have any um, possibility of manifesting there. So you know, somebody may speak like that sometimes just to make the point that you, know, you don't want to go there, you'll become lonely. Or we, you know, we, 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 what can you do? You have to talk about it mm-hmm. in ways, in this sense, in, in, in this instance of its undesirability. So you can say things like that, but you play them out and it's, 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 it's not uh, factual. Loneliness, um, um, you know, jealousy, Envy, they have nothing to do with the Atma. They have everything to do with the Atma not, not knowing itself. Hmm? How, can you, how can you be lonely? When, you, when a guy could sit in a cave for 30 years, you know, hmm? no cares. Even when there's opportunity for, uh, you know, for other things to do or what, because he's a yogi, for example, absorbed in the Atma, Satisfaction, the self of the Atmaram, hmm? joy of the self. Hmm? It's it's a it's a freedom. There's a joy to the freedom from loneliness. Mukti is freedom from loneliness. Your the really loneliness is is really rooted in in being disconnected from yourself. We've explained before why the Upanishads say. Man does not love the wife. Hmm? The wife does not love the husband. The wife does. The mother does not love the children. The children do not love the mother. The idea is everyone really loves themselves, their atma. And my wife, my husband, my child, all speaks about the self, the atma projecting itself into others. Hmm? which consciousness has the capacity to do, and then thinking of them in terms of mine, they're me, hmm? and the only sense in which they are is that you've extended your, projected your sense of whatever, awareness and uh, concern with uh, others, so you really, it's really the you, the self that, that, that one loves. Hmm? And one, Bhagavatam says that one loves the self because the self is part and parcel of Krishna and so forth. So, um, so this is the root of loneliness. You can say, being disconnected from yourself. So that's over. There's no loneliness in Brahman, hmm? and there's nowhere to go. There's no sense. That the whole you're, you're, you have to understand. If you want to enter into Brahman, then your whole chitta will be destroyed. All memories. All some scars from material existence—it's completely gone. It means the material existence is gone. It doesn't exist. It's not—it's not there. Shankar says it's a myth anyway. I mean, he's wrong about that, but it's not even there. There's no 
You've done, you dismantled the whole thing. Hmm? So, it's, there you are, whatever, still or... You, you've, you've ended the whole uh, problem of material existence, but there's nothing you know, positive, so to speak. Now, in bhakti, the chitta becomes overlaid with bhakti. Hmm? It comes on the mind and the subtle body and takes it over. Hmm? So, as I say, you get bhakti vrittis. Hmm? And the chitta vritti, the heart is cleansed of other vrittis or tendencies and so impressions. You get the bhakti on it. Now you got something positive, and then you get a spiritual body, a spiritual mind, hmm? spiritual ahankar. Oh, that! <laughs> so uh, that's very, very, very different, right? This is the real idea of liberation and Brahman merging in Brahman. It's kind of some kind of yeah. You got out of material existence, okay, but. Nothing else to say about it. Hmm? It's it's nihilistic. It it really is. The philosophy is nihilistic. Buddhism is also nihilistic, and it's it's kind of a negative from a theological point of view. It's it's, it's a negating. Hmm? You can call that positive. Like I've said, zero is is a positive, has positive content in relation to negative numbers. But what we're talking about here is positive numbers, which makes zero look as empty as it is. I mean, to say that zero is better than positive numbers is not to say much about it, obviously. Hmm? Zero is better than negative numbers. Did I say that wrong? Well, to say that that zero is more positive than negative numbers, yeah, sure, but, but... it's not to make it very positive. It's still zero, right? It's kind of like, okay, it's not negative, it's not positive, it's kind of more It's more negative than... But it, <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's the only way, to talk, way of talking about it. But there's no loneliness there, there's none of these, none of these things. And there's nothing like that. Hmm? There's no sense of individuality. So who's going to fall? From where? Where is Brahman? Everywhere. Where are you, where are you going to fall to? Huh? Buddhism is about, <laughs> in a sense, many schools of it, but entering into the Mahatattva. Hmm? It's like you follow Brihad Bhagavatam to Gopakumar. You can merge into the earth element. You can, there's a dimensions, earth, water, fire, air, ether, it's not just little, as we see them, they're dimensions. Hmm? So the, that's another thing about the way that Bhagavatam speaks about the world, it's, it's, it's very, very different. So just to say, modern science is wrong, Bhagavatam is right, they're both right. Hmm? They're looking at it from different angles and so forth. So, so Bhagavatam, in Brihad Bhagavatam, Jagopakumar, 
enters into the earth element. He meets Bhumi, the goddess, and Braha. Hmm? He could merge there, whatever that means. Then he goes, then, then the fire element, so forth. And Mahatattva. So this is Buddhism. We call it Prakriti Nirvana. To merge in, so to speak, into, into the subtle matter. Hmm? Buddhism is all about the idea that matter is constantly in transformation. And we identify with a particular transformation as if it's separate from the reality of ongoing transformation. Hmm? And therefore there's a problem. Hmm? You are the rock. You are the tree. You are the ocean. You are the land. You are the sun. All of these things are really just matter in flux. And you are matter. And so you are all of these things and none of them. And so it's just kind of the opposite in one sense of Vedanta. You are matter. And Vedanta says, you are Brahman. Of course, it depends what school of Buddhism you go to. But, but it, it, so it's, it's, it, many of them, they're, they're advocating from the Vedanta perspective, merging into subtle matter. One of these opportunities, for example, that was presented to, um, to Gopal Kumar. Hmm? And it's, it's, uh, it's the end of suffering. Hmm? Now, Buddhism is, falls a little short of the Brahman, so I guess they keep coming back. What are they called? Bodhisattvas or something. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. So why is it <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just my understanding, but in Krishna book, it seems like it's glorified when Krishna kills a demon and he gets liberated. He got killed by Krishna, so it's like, that's special, and he gets special. People want it. People want liberation. It's only, you have to understand, it's only negative from the perspective of bhakti. Hmm? Repeatedly and throughout the text, it's, it's for the demons. The devotees don't want that. They're not interested in that at all. Hmm? It, it said yogis are striving for this, and that's where the demons go. Krishna kills the demons in the It's a way of saying, this place is undesirable. That's what it's saying. The demons are going there. And you're doing all this yoga to go there? Or whatever you're doing? It's undesirable. That's the idea there. So it's it's pretty clear throughout the text, it's repeated. It's 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 yeah, it's it this is a very you know, the, the, the bhakti perspective on what the scriptures are saying. It makes liberation look really undesirable. If we don't look from that vantage point, it looks desirable because, well, material life, that's an illusion. Hmm? You've, you've seen through that. Hmm? But the full potential of the self is not, uh, not brought out in Brahman. All right. <laughs> we'll stop there. Sisi Gorada Madhava Kijai. Haribo.